And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West. The most haunted city in the country. Well, today is July the 3rd. 184th day of the year. 181 days remain to the year's over with. And, <clears throat> excuse me, it's National Stay Out of the Sun Day, National Air Conditioner Appreciation Day, and since it's over 100 here, I certainly appreciate it, American Redneck Day, Salva Puha commemorates Buddha's first sermon after his enlightenment, Belarus Independence Day, Disobedience Day. It's said disobedience is the true foundation of liberty. The Sala Full Moon Poya commemorates the Buddha's first sermon. He uttered the so-called Four Noble Truths. Heroes Day in Zambia, International Drop a Rock Day, International Plastic Bag Free Day, Mother's Day in South Sudan, National Chocolate Wafer Day, National Complimentary Mirror Day, National Eat Beans Day, National Fried Clam Day, National Independent Beer Run Day, St. Thomas History, uh, Start the Conversation Day, the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, and Via Emancipation Day. It honors the liberation of slaves in uh, the West Indies Islands. Alrighty. All that having been said, in 324 AD, the Battle of Adriana, Adrianople, Constantine I defeats Lucinius, who flees to Byzantium. 987, Hugh Capet is crowned king of France, the first of the Capetian dynasty that would rule France until the French Revolution in 1792. 1035, William the Conqueror becomes Duke of Normandy. He reigns until 1087. I'm descended from William the Conqueror. 1608, Quebec City is founded by Samuel de Champlain. 1754, French and Indian War. George Washington surrenders Fort Necessity to the French. 1767, Pitcairn Island is discovered by midshipman Robert Pitcairn on an expeditionary voyage commanded by Philip Carteret. 1767, also Norway's oldest newspaper, still in print, uh, is founded, and the first edition is published on this date. 1775, American Revolutionary War. George Washington takes command of the Continental Army at Cambridge, Massachusetts. There was some political shenanigans at Cause that to come about. 1778, American Revolutionary War. Iroquois Indians allied to Britain killed 360 people in the Wyoming Valley Massacre. 1819, the Bank for Savings in the City of New York, the first savings bank in the U.S., opens up. 1839, the first state normal school in the U.S., the forerunner today's uh, Farmingham 
State University opens in Lexington, Massachusetts with a big three students. 1848, Governor General Peter von Schulten emancipates all remaining slaves in the Danish West Indies. 1849, France invades the Roman Republic and restores the Papal States. 1852, Congress establishes the U.S. Second Mint in San Francisco. 1863, American Civil War, final day of the Battle of Gettysburg culminates in Pickett's Charge. 1866, Austro-Prussian Wars decided at the Battle of Königsgratz, enabling Prussia to exclude Austria from German affairs. 1884, Dow Jones and Company publishes its first stock average. 1886, Carl Benz officially unveils the Benz Patent Motor Wagon, first purpose-built automobile. 1886, the New York Tribune becomes the first newspaper to use a Lentil-type machine, eliminating typesetting by hand. 1890, Idaho is admitted as the 43rd U.S. state. 1898, a Spanish squadron led by Pascual Cervera y Topela is defeated by an American squadron under William T. Sampson in the Battle of Santiago de Cuba. 1913, Confederate veterans at the Great Union of 1913 reenact Pickett's Charge. Upon reaching the high water mark of the Confederacy, they were met by the outstretched hands of friendship from Union survivors. 1938, world speed record for a steam locomotive is set in England by the Mallard, which reaches a speed of 125.88 miles per hour. 1938, U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt dedicates the Eternal Light Peace Memorial and lights the eternal flame at Gettysburg Battlefield. 1940, World War II. Royal Navy attacks the French Naval Squadron in Algeria to ensure that it won't fall under German control. The four French battleships present, one is sunk, two are damaged, and one escapes back to France. 1944, World War II. The Minsk Offensive clears German troops out of the city. 1952, the Constitution of Puerto Rico is approved by Congress. Also in 52, the SS United States set sail on her maiden voyage to Southampton. During the voyage, the ship takes the blue ribbon away from the RMS Queen Mary. 1967, Aiden Emergency, Battle of the Crater in which British uh, Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders retake the Crater District following the Arab policy mutiny. Allied, excuse me, the Arab police mutiny. 1970, the Troubles. The Falls curfew begins in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Also in 1970, Dan Air Flight 1903 crashes into the Les Mountains in Matsini Massif near the village of Arbustias in uh, Catalonia, Spain. Kills 112 people on board. 1973, David Bowie retires his stage persona, Ziggy Stardust, with the surprising announcement it's the last show that we'll ever do on the last day of the Ziggy Stardust tour. 1979, President Jimmy, I'm Wonderful Carter, signs the first directive for secret aid to the opponents of the pro-Soviet regime in Kabul. 
1988, U.S. Navy warship USS Vincennes shoots down Iran Air Flight 655 over the Persian Gulf. Kills all 290 people on board. Also in 1988, the Fatih Sultan Mehmet Bridge in Istanbul, Turkey is completed, providing the second connection between the continents of Europe and Asia over the Bosphorus. 1996, British Prime Minister John Major announced the Stone of Scone will be returned to Scotland. And in 2013, Egyptian coup d'etat, President of Egypt, Mohamed Morsi, is overthrown by the military after four days of protest all over the country calling for Morsi's resignation, to which he didn't respond. President of the Supreme Constitutional Court of Egypt, Adli Mansour, is declared acting president. Well... The world is certainly a um, very uh, divided place. There's so many um, disagreements. It's hard to know. Who's on what side and what they're calling for? You know the there are many, many mysteries in this world, and yeah, we're going to talk about some of them. There have been uh, so many unsolved mysteries. With our uh, ivory tower scientist uh, declaring that uh, it's swamp gas or it's this or it's that. They don't bother to get out in the field and get dirty and find out what the truth is. Let's start out talking about uh, Easter Island. On Easter Sunday, in the year 1722, three ships under Dutch Admiral Jacob Rugavin sighted land in the remote southern Pacific Ocean. And as they got closer to the island, the, uh, the crews were flabbergasted to see gigantic stone statues lining the shore. 1774, English navigator James Cook arrived at the island and learned that the inhabitants were descendants of the, the folks that made the statues. Now, Easter Island, called Rapa Nui by the, the native people, is about 2,300 miles northwest of Chile. It's a chunk of uh, volcanic rock about 63 square miles. And after decades of work, archaeologists and other scientists have uh, learned much about the uh, the statues, but also importantly, there's still debate about the actual fate of the people who once inhabited the this island. Now there are between nine hundred and a thousand of these stone statues on the, the island today. Others have been washed into the sea by uh, erosion 
and the waters flowing in. Statues were between 6 and 32 feet tall and shared the characteristics of a long human head with an outstretched chin. The arms of the statues all lie snugly to the sides, and many of the statues were set upright on platforms called Ahu. Now, researchers believe the earliest settlers of the island were uh, Polynesians, who got there about 800 A.D. Now, there's no hard, concrete evidence, but that's what the ivory tower scientists believe. And, of course, their belief is much more important than evidence. Culture prospered for several hundred years. The population grew and the statues were erected. According to this particular theory, number of trees on the island dwindled. Now, there are a number of competing theories about uh, why this particular ecological event occurred. What is believed, though, is uh, that famine resulted in about 1680 civil war broke out among the, the island's inhabitants, which put a halt to the statue carving and pretty much spelled the end of Rapa Nui society. Now, at one point, the island had a lush tree cover. So, why, why did it vanish? Well, one belief is that the Polynesian rat uh, devoured the island's trees. People of Rapa Nui used the trees to supply nearly all their needs. Food, housing, firewood, canoes, logs, and sleds to move the statues. I mean, frankly, it could have just been a result of the passage of time before they ran out of trees. So you have to wonder why they erected these statues in the first place. Some of them weighed many tons. How did they carve them? How did they move them? How did they erect them? And what was the purpose well, from Easter Island, let's go to Machu Picchu, high up in the Andes Mountains. It's the last refuge of the Incas, one of the greatest engineering and archaeological achievements um, in the New World. Now, the discovery is attributed to uh, Hiram Bingham III, Yale University. Came to Peru in 1911. He was searching for a lost Inca city called Vilcabamba. He'd read some 16th century text written by Spanish explorers, and they wrote about this mysterious city. Now, Bingham did find a long abandoned city high up in the Andes Mountains, but it wasn't. Vilcabamba, it was Machu Picchu, which nobody in the West knew anything at all about until uh, 
he found it. Today, it's Machu Picchu. Uh, has massive, skillfully carved stone walls and buildings. And it's one of the most spectacular archaeological finds in all of South America. And before you wonder why things can be lost in South America, I spent three years there. And we were always finding uh, mysterious things in the jungle. And as I've said before, something could be five feet from you in the thick jungle undergrowth and you can't see it. Now, it became known as the Lost City of the Incas. It's roughly 165 miles northwest of Cusco, which is Peru's capital. It's in south-central Peru, located about 7,000 feet above sea level on the eastern slopes of the Andes. And it covers a, an area of about five miles. That's a huge city. Historians believe it was built during the height of the Inca Empire, sometime between 1416-1470, and evidence indicates it was inhabited until the Spanish conquest of Peru in 1532. And it's not known exactly why the site was abandoned, although the, the presence of the conquistadors in the region cer certainly played a role. Some historians have suggested that a smallpox epidemic brought by the Spanish forced inhabitants uh, to desert their mountaintop refuge. Machu Picchu is a complex of about 200 buildings including palaces and houses and temples and terrestrial observatories and storage facilities. And despite all that's known about the site, its real function is still a mystery. Some archaeologists believe it was a royal estate for Inca nobility. Others claim it was a religious site. Still other theories claim it was used as a prison or women's sanctuary. Now, another South American mystery revolves around the mysterious Olmecs. It was Mesoamerica's first great culture of builders and traders, and it literally vanished. Fifteen centuries before the Maya, and 2,500 years before the Aztecs, the mysterious Olmecs uh, dominated Mesoamerica. Beginning about 1200 B.C., they established their influence along the uh, present-day Mexico's Gulf Coast, spreading uh, southward through the, the jungle as far as Costa Rica. Olmecs built large urban centers and established extensive trade. Religious practices featured rituals that subsequent Mesoamerican cultures adapted. The uh, coastal areas of the Gulf of Mexico uh, allowed farmers to Harvest maize and beans and squash. Gulf waters yielded an abundance of shellfish and turtles and a lot of edible sea life. Now, one of the most uh, unexplained aspects of the Olmec civilization is the colossal stone heads carved in basalt rock. 
Seventeen heads believed to be uh, the likenesses of all McRulers have been discovered in the jungle. Other permanent records left behind by Olmec artisans include rock carvings and cave paintings and ceremonial objects like masks fashioned in jade and ceramic. Oddly enough, historical records provide no definitive clues explaining the strange and sudden disappearance of the Olmecs. Many scholars believe they were the the first real civilization in America. Where did they come from? And where did they go? Still don't have an answer to those questions. Now another mysterious civilization is the mound builders of North America. Thousands of earthen mounds not the U.S., from the Great Lakes to the Gulf of Mexico. We don't know who the mound builders were or why they even built these curious earthworks. With hundreds of sites along the Ohio River Valley and down from Wisconsin to the Gulf of Mexico, there are more than 100,000 artificial mounds made of soil and rock and ash and shell and burned debris. 16th and 17th century settlers pushing westward across North America were baffled by the, the strange constructs, as was Thomas Jefferson, who uh, excavated a mound near his home in Monticello, Virginia, and discovered as many as a thousand skeletons buried deep inside the earthwork. The mounds were built by Native Americans dated roughly from 3500 B.C. up to the late uh, 1500s A.D. for a variety of purposes. Most were constructed to serve ceremonial and burial functions. Others were served as platforms for religious buildings and residences and sites for public rituals and political gatherings. Most of the mounds were flat-topped or dome-shaped. The most remarkable were constructed in animal shapes, such as snakes and eagles and buffaloes and even humans. Now, the interesting thing about these animal shapes, you could only tell what they were from the air. So that raises the question, what was the purpose? Now, the Great Serpent Mound in Adams County, Ohio, one of the most remarkable of these Effigy mounds, measuring 1,330 feet in length and ranging from one to three feet high. It's believed to have been built in the first or second century by the Fort um, Ancient Culture, the earlier Adena culture. This shape winds back and forth for more than 800 feet, has several coils ending with a mouth apparently in the act of swallowing an egg, 120-foot-long uh, oval mound. Modern archaeologists are as puzzled by the Great Serpent Earthwork as were American settlers uh, when they first discovered the mounds themselves. The Great Serpent Mound contains no buried objects. Was this site used for any burial purposes? 
which of course puzzles scholars as to its purpose. What was the symbolism? Now the Cahokia Mounds, located about eight miles northeast of St. Louis, is the largest pre-Columbian settlement in the U.S. The Cahokia people occupied the site from about 800 to 1400 A.D. Complex features 120 mounds, including Monk's Mound, the largest earthwork in the Americas, which is 100 feet high and covers more than 12 acres. It's believed as much as 20 billion pounds of soil was transported and used in the construction of Monk's Mound. It's believed to have been built for religious purposes. 5,000 square foot temple once sat on top of this uh, flat top pyramid. But there's still a lot of mysteries as to almost every aspect of it. Now, from the Earth Mounds, let's talk about the mystery of the Clovis. Now, for decades, the scientific community believed it held the answer to the questions of how and when the oldest settlers arrived in the Americas. Based on the discoveries of Flint spearheads and other evidence. About 13,000 to 15,000 years ago, a group of people from Asia walked across a now vanished land bridge that connected Siberia to Alaska, headed south, and then fanned out across the Americas. Now we'll point out a lot of the reading I've done make it clear there's no solid proof the Bering Strait land bridge actually existed. Now, according to this theory, these people, known as the Clovis, were the direct ancestors of modern Native American Indians. Clovis people were hunters of big game, such as the mammoth, which they killed with finely tooled flint spears. First discovered evidence of the Clovis was, in fact, uh, a flint spearhead found near the town of Clovis, New Mexico, in 1933. In time, hundreds of other spearheads were found throughout North America. Now, recent discoveries have led researchers to once again question the true identity of these first Americans. In the mid-1990s, archaeologists digging at a site in Cactus Hill, Virginia, uncovered Clovis-style spearheads dating from about 18,000 to 20,000 years ago. Spearheads were nearly identical to those made by an accomplished tool-making culture in southwest France known as the Salutrians. We were making their spearheads during that same period. In fact, some researchers have suggested a Salutrian first theory claiming these uh, Europeans crossed the Atlantic in canoe-like boats and settled in North America. And they did this several millennia prior to when the Clovis are said to have arrived. Now, additionally, evidence of human activity dating back 19,000 years has been found at the Metal Croft Rock Shelter site near Pittsburgh. Millions of artifacts, including ancient tools made of stone and bone, have been uncovered at these uh, prehistoric campsites. Another piece of evidence for pre-Clovis occupation in North America turned up in 1974, when the fishermen dredged up a 22,000-year-old mastodon skull and a hand-tooled blade made from volcanic rock. Blade bore uncanny resemblance to a Salutrian tool. 
And while recent discoveries suggest that humans may have lived in North America long before the Clovis, the question still needs to be answered. Who were these earliest people? Where did they come from? And how did they get here? The, uh, the tired old Bering Strait land bridge is um, about run its course. Well, let's go to the east for another mystery. This one deals with the uh, mysterious city of Petra. This secluded city is carved out of uh, sandstone rock deep within the Jordanian desert. It's nestled in an expanse of forbidding mountains in the southern desert of Jordan. It's an ancient city carved out of solid rose-colored sandstone. It's accessible only on foot or on horseback. Visitors to the site uh, have to travel through a uh, narrow winding uh, crevice only three feet wide in some places before they can uh, arrive at the shimmering marble etched in stone. Now, Petra was believed to have been built in the 4th century B.C. by the uh, Nabataeans. They established Petra as their capital city, strategically located and naturally fortified by the surrounding mountains. And it was established on the uh, caravan trade route between Syria and Arabia. And the Nabataeans accumulated great wealth, trading with regional merchants as well as those from the Mediterranean and Egypt. Now, these, the wealth, though, made the Nabataeans a frequent target of conquest by the uh, envious rival powers of the day. After repelling several attacks, they uh, fell to the Roman general Pompey in 63 B.C. And 40 years later, Petra was made part of the Roman province of Arabia. Well, in spite of that, it continued to thrive for several centuries under Roman rule, but its uh, commercial imports declined with the rise of uh, trading centers in central Syria. Then a series of devastating earthquakes rocked the city, and by the 13th century uh, A.D., the city was abandoned and long forgotten. In fact, if you saw um, Indiana Jones and the uh, Last Crusade, The desert city they were at was, in fact, Petra. 1912, the... Can't read my own handwriting. In 1812, the Anglo-Swiss explorer, Johann Burckhardt, rediscovered the lost city, which uh, included hundreds of tombs and temples and houses and monuments and an enormous theater. Buildings are carved in a style that lend local traditions with Greek influence. Dams and a sophisticated irrigation system uh, nurtured the city's lush gardens. Archaeologists believe the city served a multitude of functions throughout the ages. A commercial hub, a fortress, a sacred place, among others. 
And today the, the stone of Petra faces the constant dangers of caused by the high tourist traffic and the effects of wind and water erosion. Yeah, through a series of large-scale preservation projects, engineers and scientists from around the world are currently working to protect the city and restore it to its past glory. Of course, with the only route in being a three-foot-wide uh, maze of passages, it does raise interesting questions. Well, another mystery of that part of the world is Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, in the Bible, these two cities were destroyed by the wrath of God. So the question becomes, is there actually a scientific explanation for the, the destruction of these two biblical cities? Now, the biblical tale of God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah for the wickedness and sin so grievous of their inhabitants is as familiar as the Old Testament story of creation itself. So the question becomes, could these cataclysmic events actually have happened as described in the Bible? Well, today, the place called the Bab Dara on the southern end of the Dead Sea is widely accepted by archaeologists as one of the five cities of the plains mentioned in the Bible. Among those five cities were both Sodom and Gomorrah. Digit, the early Bronze Age city, revealed that... Uh, Bab Dara was destroyed by a massive conflagration as uh, was um, Numera, which was seven miles to the south. That was the second of the five cities. Some archaeologists believe it was not the brimstone and fire rained down by God that destroyed these cities, but rather natural climatic and geological conditions that caused the blazing disasters. One theory suggests lightning strikes may have ignited the oil-rich Dead Sea area. The other argues that the Twin Cities that both sit on a major fault in a large earthquake zone were rocked by earthquakes. And as the earthquakes would likely have spilled burning oil lamps or upset cooking fires to start and fuel the blaze. There's also the, city, uh, the theory the cities could have been struck by a meteorite that set in motion fires and seismic disturbances. At the end of the day... Most, shall we say, scientists just can't believe that, number one, there is a God. Number two, that God took a direct interest in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, certainly, something raised enough of a uh, conflagration that two of the major cities at the time were destroyed. Well... From the Middle East, let's come back to uh, North America. Go to a place called Chaco Canyon. It's uh, tucked inside the uppermost region of northwest New Mexico. It was a major center of ancestral Pueblo people between 850 and 1250 A.D. The site has the largest and most impressive collection of ancient stone ruins in the United States. Massive structures at a test the remarkable engineering skills of Native American groups inhabiting the Southwest. The uh, 
canyon, for lack of a better term, was discovered during an 1849 U.S. military expedition. Nineteen immense structures housed an estimated 800 to 1,000 people at any one time. However, by the late 1200s, the Anasazi Pueblos, builders of this site, had almost vanished. Ivory Tower scientists, of course, believe that a 30-year drought most likely forced the removal of more favorable uh, crop-growing lands to the south. But then again, you know, scientists don't pay any attention to local legends. As one uh, archaeologist uh, said, they were the mutterings of superstitious people. But maybe they have truth in some of those legends. Well, from the vanished Sanasazi people, let's talk about the lost civilization of Atlantis. One of the most famous lost civilizations in the world. Ancient writings of the Greek philosopher Plato launched thousands of years of intense debate and archaeological investigation. Thoughts about Atlantis, the mystical place once home to a highly advanced island culture, have captivated archaeologists, ethnographers, novelists, and psychics for more than 2,000 years. Now, the origin of the Atlantis story comes from a single source, the Greek philosopher Plato. He claimed his source for the story was the politician and poet, poet Solon, who in turn got the story from an Egyptian priest. The priest described a vast island larger than present-day Turkey and Libya combined. It was said to lie beyond the Pillars of Hercules. We know it as the Straits of Gibraltar. Now, according to the legend... Atlantis uh, existed about 11,000 years ago. Plato provided details of the island's physical makeup, an ancient urban metropolis surrounded by three concentric rings of water with canals and bridges and a massive harbor and defensive walls encased in an unknown metal. known as Auriculacum, which sparkled like fire, according to what uh, Plato said. The island was covered with forest. There were orchards, exotic animals, and abundance of fresh water. The Temple of Poseidon, which was the main temple, was covered in silver and gold. And they possessed an empire that stretched eastward from the Atlantic Ocean to Italy and Egypt. And they wanted to extend their domain further throughout the Mediterranean. So they invaded Athens. But the Athenians won. Wanting to punish the Atlanteans for their avarice, the gods sent a host of devastating earthquakes and floods uh, to um, impact the kingdom of Atlantis. Sinking it beneath the waves in a single dreadful day and night, according to Plato. The religion of Atlantis was largely ignored until the late 19th century. And an American congressman named Ignatius Donnelly, rather than 
taking care of his duties as an elected official, spent his days in the Smithsonian. Wrote a book called Atlantis, the Antediluvian World. He published it in 1882. It was a treatise that claimed all ancient civilizations descended from Atlantis. Later writers, such as Madame Helena Petrovna Lavatsky, who wrote Secret Doctrine in 1888, and Edgar Cayce, a sleeping psychic, described Atlantis as a highly technological culture with flying machines and inhabitants who possess mysterious supernormal abilities. And even today, magazine articles and television programs, internet chatter continue to promote the legend of Atlantis. Of course, for every tower scientist, just a lost civilization and lost. It never existed. No matter what you come up with, there's some ivory tower scientist with a theory that discounts anything you might have to say that supports the existence of Atlantis. Now, of course, there are many who believe Atlantis was not the, the first advanced civilization to vanish. How about Lemuria? Scientists and thinkers of the 19th century proposed that a Lost continent was the cradle of civilization. In the late 19th century, German uh, naturalist uh, Ernest Heinrich Haeckel attempted to explain how the lemur, a small tree-drumming mammal found mainly in the island of Madagascar, but also in Africa and Indian, the mainland archipelago, could uh, have crossed the Indian Ocean. He suggested that a land bridge spanning the Indian Ocean from Madagascar to India might explain a number's widespread distribution. He further proposed that the land bridge was the cradle of humankind, and the reason no evidence of early humans has been found was that the, this continent sank, taking with it all traces of our most primitive ancestors. Though no proof of this land bridge ever existed, Hinkle's theories were widely accepted. Now, for those interested in such things, today's scientific world is, believes the distribution of lemurs to, was caused by continental drift. Popular interest in Lemuria, also called Mu, was yet to reach its crescendo. 1888. Russian occultist Madame Helena Petrovna Blavatsky wrote The Secret Doctrine and described the evolution of humankind through seven root races, as she called them. The third of these root races was the Ramirians. They were giant, ape-like creatures, she said, uh, some with four arms and the third eye in the back of their head, communicated uh, telepathically and kept dinosaurs as pets. Lavatsky claimed she had received these revelations from secret masters who lived in the mountain cities in Tibet. The Amerians were eventually drowned when their continent, which predated Atlantis, was destroyed by earthquakes and submerged beneath the waters. But even the bizarre claims made by Lavatsky and her occultist followers, including numerous psychics and self-proclaimed prophets, failed to diminish interest in the lost civilization of Remuria. 
1931, British-born writer and engineer James Churchward resurrected this elusive land in the lost continent of Mu. I've read that series. It's fascinating. He shifted the myriad to the Pacific Ocean. It was originally the Garden of Eden, he said. A technologically advanced civilization, more than 60 million inhabitants. According to Churchward, the ancient civilizations of India, Babylon, Egypt, and the Maya were the remains of Mu's great uh, colonial empire. Well, the legend of Lemuria continues to thrive to this day. Many spiritual-minded people believe that Lemurians fled to Mount Shasta in California, where they built a crystal city known as Telos. Well, you know, one thing that's going to outlive even our civilization is graffiti. You know, the, the voice of every man in ancient Roman society was revealed in the often maligned art of graffiti. In fact, graffiti dates back to the first prehistoric humans who picked up a rock and had some scribblings on a ro- another rock. Though know, most modern readers might uh, view um, Graffiti is vandalism. Scientists and archaeologists embrace the graffiti of ancient people as a way to understand past cultures and civilizations. Nowhere on earth is ancient graffiti more abundant than in the Italy's Bay of Naples. 79 AD, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius buried the towns of Pompeii and Herculaneum under yards of lava and ash and preserved under these tons of Debris are thousands of snippets of 2,000-year-old graffiti, which today provides a revelatory glimpse into the minds and daily lives of ancient Roman subjects. The graffiti you find in Pompeii and Herculaneum appears on the outdoor walls of homes and businesses and administrative buildings, inside private houses and brothels and bars and on doors and doorways. And just about anywhere that an empty spot existed that could be written on. The graffiti includes advertisements for merchandise for sale and apartments to rent and political commentary, drawings, love letters, and and morphisms, and a whole lot more. One of the graffiti's most common themes are sex and love. The wall of the Basilica in Pompeii has a interesting little comment. Lucilla made money from her body. A private home had the the writing that said Marcellus loves Pernestina, but she doesn't care for him. And of course, political observations appear frequently. The petty thieves, for example, request the election of Vatia as Denium as magistrate. I mean, according much of this graffiti makes it clear that uh, the citizen was surprisingly literate. Well, let's talk about the great ancient seaport of Ostia. Overrun by marauding barbarians, it uh, actually became lost in history. You know, the destruction of 
ancient Roman towns of Pompeii and Herculaneum caused by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD was swift and complete. Distance allowed the city of Ostia, about 250 miles to the north, to escape that same fate, which enabled the, the seaport town and urban center to flourish in the next two centuries. But with the gradual collapse of the Roman Empire, this once great port city declined into 16th centuries of oblivion, abandonment, and was largely been ignored. And unlike the victims of Vesuvius's wrath, Ostia slowly floundered until it was no more. The peanut gallery is tuning up. Researchers believe Rome's response to barbarian attacks on Ostia in 330 AD prompted its decline. Rather than protect the city, Roman forces were deployed to protect the harbor, leaving Ostia proper, open to attack. Barbarians overran and plundered the city, which was never restored. It was ignored by the powers in Rome. And the city's inhabitants left in droves, just like they're doing San Francisco and Portland and a number of other cities being overrun by crime. Uh, the uh, And this... Um, The abandonment was further hastened by a deadly malaria breakout, and by the Middle Ages, it was a ghost town. Well, over the centuries, silt carried by the Tiber River and debris from the Mediterranean slowly engulfed Ostia, burying it under many feet of compacted earth. The site was uh, undisturbed until excavations began in 1937, and they unearthed about uh, a third of the entire city. It makes a fascinating uh, history to delve into what was. Not only do we have sunken cities, we've got underground cities. Let's go to Edinburgh in Scotland. The city of Edinburgh is built on the Seven Hills. Late 1700s, the city began building a series of bridges to provide uh, roadways across the uneven terrain. And because the bridges didn't span rivers, empty dry spaces were created underneath the bridges. And to maximize space in the overcrowded metropolis, merchants began to establish businesses in the empty vaults created underneath the South Bridge. Trades began to thrive in the underground rubble the spaces and tunnels. Well, as conditions deteriorated, the dark, damp vaults became home to the city's uh, poorest inhabitants. Poor sanitation and a lack of fresh air and ventilation led to illnesses and disease among the unfortunate denizens of the deep. By the early 1830s, the South Bridge vaults were abandoned, filled in with rubble and lost in time. In the 1980s, an excavation accidentally revealed the, the vaults and evidence of their long-forgotten human occupation came to light. Well, exploration will continue and expand, I'm sure. You know, Scotland is also home to uh, what are referred to as stone constructs in the Scottish Highlands. The Valnorian of Clava 
probably known as the Lava Cairns, is an arrangement of three well-preserved but puzzling stone structures. A cairn is a human-made pile of stones that's erected as a burial monument, landmark, defensive fortification, or even an astronomical marker. The site of Clava Cairns is located about six miles east of Inverness in the Scottish Highlands and dates from the Neolithic period of about 2500 B.C. That was about 4,500 years ago. Each of the three circular cairns is roughly 50 feet in diameter. Two of the three cairns, the northeast cairn and the southwest cairn, are passage graves, hills of stone stacked about 10 feet high with a narrow corridor entrance leading to a circular center. The third structure, the central cairn, is a ring cairn, a circle of stones that surrounds the circular space inside it. Slender standing stones encircle each cairn. Excavations at the site began in 1828 and were conducted periodically until the 1990s. Researchers believe the site was in continual use for more than a thousand years and then used intermittently until the mid-8th century A.D. Traditional thinking claims the site was likely used either as a burial ground or celestial marker because the two passage graves aligned to the winter solstice or Maybe it was both. Digs have uncovered a limited number of human bone fragments, including Clava Cairns, uh, indicating that Clava Cairns was not a cemetery for the masses, but possibly a burial ground for just a few influential members of the community. And regarding the, the site's use as a celestial marker in the 1940s, Scottish engineer Alexander Thorne, an expert in stone circles, showed that the entrance ways of the passage graves aligned to Lechery and in correspondence with the standing stones point to the winter sun setting position. It's part of a group of about 50 similar cairns located in the Edwardness region. You know, if we knew what our ancestors wanted to use all this for, it would be different. But we don't. Well, until tomorrow at this time, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.